Welcome to You Do What? The podcast where I interview my comedian friends about their traditions and rituals. My name is Cindy Arvina. I'm going to do a bit of a different kind of intro this time because I am going on tour, the Fun Employment Tour. It's my first time ever doing shows outside of California, so I'm super excited. I am going to Arizona. If you are in the Tucson area, I will be there Monday, October 16th at 8 p.m. for Brouhaha at Borderlands Brewing Company. And then I will be in Tempe on Wednesday, October 18th at 9 p.m. for Glow at Woodshed. And I will also be in Mesa on Thursday, October 19th at 8 p.m. for Comedy Off Sunset at Comedy Off Main Street. And I will also be in Phoenix on Thursday, October 19th at 11 for This Week Sucks Tonight at Crescent Ballroom. So if you are in any of those places or you have friends and or family in any of those places that might want to see me, please, please, please tell them about my shows. And also I will be doing some of these shows with past guest Chris Crittenden. He's my very first guest. We talked about cooking. Really good episode. But enough about me and all that. This week on the show, I have comedian Paul Douglas Moomjean. You can find Paul on Instagram and Twitter at The Moomabides, and he also has a website, themoomabides.com. So definitely check all that out. And this week, Paul and I discussed his time coaching wrestling and also being a teacher. So I hope you enjoy. When did you start coaching wrestling? I started coaching wrestling in 1999. Oh, I graduated wow. high school in 1999. And uh, what had happened was my senior year, I was injured the entire year. Mm -hmm. and um, Were you in wrestling? I was. I wrestled from 1995 until 1999. Mm -hmm. And I was like a, a good JV wrestler. And the problem that our team had was is that we had two great wrestlers my uh, junior year. And so we went to a schedule that only two wrestlers could do well in. So we have no idea if we were really bad or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it was, our, our competition was way harder than our skill level. But there was easier tournaments our coach refused to go to. So uh, to this day, I don't even know if I was a good wrestler or not. I could have maybe had 20 <laughs> wins on another person's schedule, right? Like like Agura High School went to really easy dual meet tournaments. We were going to these 64-team bruisers where you had to win your first four matches to make it back the next day. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, so I didn't do very well, but I got injured my senior year. Okay. And so the wrestling coach that I had decided... Paul's really organized, and the team really respects him. So why don't we just have him run the clock? Hmm. And so I sat in a chair with my broken ankle and blew the whistle and ran the clock. And so I learned how to literally run a wrestling practice. So when I came back in the fall to see if I could help, and he's like, yeah, this is great. I was still running wrestling practice. Then the assistant coach got fired mm -hmm. in 2001, 2002. He got fired before that season. I became the official assistant coach. Okay. So Our, you were like 19, 20 at the time? Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I was coaching my teammates. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, that's a weird yeah. thing. It was more like, but it was, for them, it was actually like having a comfort blanket. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, oh, thank God, one of the seniors is still here. Okay. Right? Uh, just to give you an idea of how many people don't coach wrestling, okay? The average freshman class in Ventura County, I went to Simi Valley High, mm -hmm. the, most schools are going to have about 20, 25 boys come out for wrestling. Out of that, you may have six or seven seniors by the time they're seniors. Out of that, I am the only alumni in the last 20 years who has coached at Simi Valley High School. Oh, wow. Like, did the, did the fingerprints, the CPR, the whole thing, uh -huh. right? I'm it. 
Like, no one else. Other people maybe came into the room and rolled around during Thanksgiving break. Uh-huh. But I'm it. Because it, nobody wants to do it. It's a, it's, it's, coaching is the most rewarding and, like, emotionally draining experience mm-hmm. ever. Uh, because you take on the emotions of every kid in the team. Because everyone wrestles and either they're going to win or lose. Mm-hmm. There's never a draw. So you're either excited for the kid who won... And remember, that's even if he's not, even if a kid was supposed to win by pin in the first period, but he ends up winning in the triple overtime, now it's even more exciting. So you will, you're on that high, and then you have to walk over to mat four and watch another kid lose, and now you're on that low, and you're, you know, so it's, it's, it's a bipolar experience the entire time, right? I started coaching 99, became the assistant head coach officially into the head assistant 2002 season. Mm-hmm. Um... And then my wrestling coach kind of got in retired mode. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I got to be here till 2012, and I don't really want to coach another 10 years. Yeah. So how about you just kind of do what you want with the kids? Were you coaching? Was that like a full-time <clears throat> gig or a part-time? Well, wrestling, all right, so, so for those who don't know, a wrestling season starts in November and ends in the first weekend of March. Mm-hmm. It's Practice. like winter. It's a winter sport. Yeah. And you keep you got to keep in mind, we do not have any of the basketball athletes, uh-huh. right? Because they're playing basketball. Right. We have no soccer athletes. Uh-huh. It's all—it's an island of misfit toys. Uh-huh. That's what wrestling is. It's the fat kids from football who need to lose twenty pounds, <laughs> and that is like. The, and by the way, in high school, there's nothing worse than an insecure six foot fat boy. Yeah. That is the most insecure <laughs> kid in the on the on the whole campus, uh-huh. right? Because he's like, I'm so much bigger than everyone. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, watch your head, buddy. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that, right? So we get these kids. We get a lot of people who've never played a sport before, mm-hmm. right? So if, if if you're a freshman football player who's a real athlete and you think that you're going to maybe go play for UCLA, you're not going to go play another sport unless it's basketball, which is not going to damage you or get you injured. So we have non-athletes, misfit kids, um, Lots of special needs. Oh, really? Because other sports require too many playmaking. Mm-hmm. Wrestling doesn't have playmaking. Okay. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like he grabs your leg, so here's the technique mm-hmm. to counter that. But it's not like basketball where like a kid has to look at the, 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 the sheet and the coach is going, you're the X and you got to do this and you're going to cr-. No, wrestling is a fight. Yeah. And special need kids get into a lot of fights. So it calls them too. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget we had a wrestler one time. He got pinned. And he got up, and he flipped off everybody. <laughs> and he said, F you! F you! Look to the rev, F you! And, and, and we pull him off the thing, and we put him in the corner, and we're yelling at him, and he, you can never do that again. And he says, I, I'm special ed. He said that? I'm special. <laughs> I'm special. I said, I don't care if you're special Pete. Yeah. You never get to do that again. I'm special ed. Because that's what they would tell him mm-hmm. in the classrooms. Right? Like, oh, we can't yell at them. They're special at. Well, no, this is wrestling. Yeah. You know, nobody knows, nobody cares. Um, you don't get to flip off the crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, that kid today, um, he wanted me to be his official for his wedding, but it was a Aww. destination wedding, and they weren't going to pay for my Hawaii ticket. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I did officiate the wedding of his cousin, mm-hmm. and he now today, he always thanks me for this. He says, if you didn't pull me aside, I don't know what would have happened. Right now, he's making about $200,000 a year. With a high school diploma as a head grip for the studios. Oh, no way. Oh, yeah. He makes the schedules and tells everybody what's... He's a head... He's a union leader. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Owns two homes. Uh-huh. His dad rents one of the homes. 
That's from him. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and he always says, he always tells everybody, he goes, Paul Mumji is the reason that I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, when are you going to pay me for that? And <laughs> when are you going to give me a little bit of money for that at some point? And he always laughs. But the truth is, if I ever wanted to, I could go get a job in which I would I would work for him, mm-hmm. but he would never boss me around. Right. He'd be like, hey, can you do this? And I'd be like, I can. He goes, if you can, it's cool. You know, because I'm very revered. Very revered by, by, by a whole group of mm-hmm. like, young men. Um, when you see these kids, do they still call you coach? Oh, oh, I've had guys ditch their dates. Really? To come talk to me. <laughs> I've had guys come ditch their dates. Because when my coach retired without retiring, it put me in a position to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And so these kids were like, they, what it did was is it showed them there's, a, there's an adult male who's given up on me. Mm-hmm. But there's this 22-year-old who hasn't. And if I was just the head coach, then it would be different. It'd be like, well, that's Paul's job. But being the assistant coach for so many years, it was like somebody's doing this for basically free. Yeah. Like a $1,000 stipend at the end of the year, right? They're like, this is that guy's job. Mm-hmm. He's getting paid for that in PE. But Paul isn't. So that means he must really care about us. Um, when you talk about wrestlers seeing me, I've had wrestlers that I don't even remember because they wrestled, you know, two months. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, Coach Paul. <laughs> I'll be like, hi, who are you? They'll be like, oh, man, like... You know, you're you're my hero, and I'm like, huh? Oh gosh! Like, <laughs> and I'm thinking it might be from something. They're like, no, you're just, I, you for two months you were nice to me. No one was nice to me, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, hey, I'll give you a hug. You know, like I don't know what else to do, yeah. right? And so, um, I've had, but I've I've actually had a few guys leave their dates. Uh, one guy, one girl was like, I'm bored, and the guy looks at him and says, excuse me, but no one is bored in front of Paul fucking moon gene. like that was I'm like let's not swear at the TJ Fridays okay buddy like, let's not that was a rule back then let's keep it a rule now yeah um, so that's really been kind of the situation mm-hmm. um, I have a joke that I it never worked on stage because it's it, it, it's a little too hard but I had a wrestler go to Iraq mm-hmm. and I didn't realize this when he comes back I don't recognize him it's been like four years and he sees me at a bar and I'm having a bad night and he looks at me and he's like coach Paul I'm like, yeah, who are you? And he's like, I'm me. Don't you remember? And I'm like, I don't remember. And he goes, you told me after I lost it was going to be okay. You know what, Coach Paul? It was okay. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm glad you remember that. He goes, when I went to Iraq, I had all this bad stuff happen. Like, my troop died, and I was all that was left. God. And I'm sitting in the, in the pit. And I thought to myself, wait, Coach Paul said it's going to be okay. You know what, Coach Paul? It was okay. And I'm sitting there now. I gotta like pay attention. I'm like, oh god, this kid's, this kid's mantra for life. Yeah. This followed. He used that for the last two, three years to get through the breakup of his girlfriend, to get through um, suicide. That just somebody telling him that it's going to be okay changed his life. Wow. And and I never had the heart to tell him. Uh, I said that to every kid after they lost. Right. Right. I was gonna ask was, that. Right. right. You're like, well, kid, I said that to everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I just said. It's going to be okay. Because uh-huh. of course it's going to be. It's just a wrestling match. Yeah. Which was, I think, the other reason they really liked me. I never took a loss personally. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see coaches, even professional coaches, like, how could they do this to us? What? Yeah. These are kids. Yeah. This is not their life. No. Their life is math class and the, and the, the pretty girl that doesn't talk to them. And then they go out there in this ridiculous uniform, mm-hmm. a 1920s woman's bathing suit. <laughs> totally. And they lose mm-hmm. more than they win, 
in front, and, and, and every season ends on a loss because you get eliminated either at the league championships or you get eliminated at the playoffs. And you don't even do it as a team. Mm-hmm. Like one guy goes a little further than somebody else and then he loses down the road and then he does it by himself. Like we would go to tournaments at the end of the year, like the, the, the state qualifying tournaments. We bring one kid because only one kid qualified. And then he lost alone. <laughs> like, it's a really existential experience. Yeah, it's rough. And, and so I would just say, well, let's just go get whatever food you want now because you got the farthest. We have a wrestling budget. Uh-huh. And we have to spend it to get it back next year, right? Right. So, so I don't, we'd always, like, me and the head coach would always say, you know, where do you want to go? Claim jumpers? Right? Where do you want to go? You know, Olive Garden, somewhere we get big portions. They always say the same thing Tommy's Burgers. Always Tommy's? Always. And that became the tradition. Mm. Is that the kid who went the farthest at the end of the year, we would take them to Tommy's Burgers. And then finally, there was one kid who was like, screw Tommy's, we're going to the claim jumpers. I want a steak. And we're like, yes. Thank God for Richard. Yeah. Uh, but, we, but why wouldn't you let the kid do what he wants to do? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, no, that was, that's how I got into coaching. I just decided to start helping, and then it just became a thing. Uh, wrestling practice, two to four, or I'm sorry, two to five, two to six every day. Mm-hmm. And then... Were you because, taking your college courses during this yeah. time, too? Wow, you had a full schedule. I was working at Costco. Oh, geez. From 4 o'clock in the morning at the gas station until about 11. Then I would take classes uh, in the afternoon, and then I would go to wrestling practice. So my first couple years, because it was more part college and wrestling, I'd only go to the wrestling room about two, three times a week, tops. Mm-hmm. But then once I graduated from college, I got a teaching job literally within months. Mm-hmm. So teaching ended at 2.33 in Thousand Oaks. I was in the wrestling room by 3.30, practice started around 3.15, so I never really missed anything. They were just finishing up a run or a stretch, and then I'd come in the room and just start teaching technique and having fun and trying to figure out what we're going to do that week to beat whoever we had to beat. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that took up my life. So I'd get up every morning at 5 a.m. and go to work and then do whatever and then get home every night at 6 p.m. Then I'd grade papers. Yeah. <laughs> And I'd sit out in my, my parents' backyard, because I was still living with my parents right mm-hmm. after graduation. And I remember I'd sit out there with a big cigar and a beer, and I would grade papers. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I, I'm physically exhausted. I've ran an entire wrestling practice, and I just need to relax. Yeah, so that was like your nightly ritual during oh, that time. Oh, yes. I look back, and I think to myself, how did I grade all those grammar papers? You know what I mean? But like that went to like maybe, yeah. So every day, you get up at 5, get ready for teachings, classes. Go to wrestling practice, and then, yeah, by 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I'm grading papers. Yeah, well, that's kind of like your unwinding, your meditation time, because it's, even grading after a while just kind of becomes mindless. You're just like, oh yeah, I know exactly what to look for, puff cigar, swig of the beer, just move on to the next one. There's Yeah, yeah it's something like very like fluid about that. And I'll never forget after the first year, the principal said, I, I hear... Because my mom was the secretary at the school. Mm-hmm. She goes, I hear you're grading till like 8.30 or 9 at night every night. And I go, yeah. And she goes, you know, you could have just checked those assignments off and given them 10, 10 points for doing that. <laughs> I go, don't tell me that. Don't ever tell me that. <laughs> and it's, you're like, like, it's like your first year of teaching. Yeah, yeah, right. Your first year of teaching, you spend most of it in a corner somewhere going, I hope no one finds out that I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. Right, because you just have a bachelor degree education. Yeah, which is the you're bare... not much older than the kids that. Well, what, is this I, high school? Or? I was teaching. Yes, in fact, I was teaching junior high, seventh through twelfth, mm-hmm. and I was twenty to twenty three years old. Oh my god! Okay, just a I, young kid. Oh, <laughs> a baby, and and they're telling me go teach them things. Yeah. So the only thing you remember is your college lectures. 
So I'm bringing in my college, I'm teaching at a Christian school, and my seventh graders are learning about existentialism, Mm -hmm. because I don't know what else to teach them. So I I literally taught seventh graders the idea that life may or may not have any meaning Mm -hmm. through an existential worldview, but then going, now let's read the Bible to find our real meaning in life. Like it was, it was so conflicting to them, but I didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. So, so whenever their eyes glazed over, I would just tell a joke. Yeah. I'd, I'd tell a silly story. Yeah. And get them back on track. And then I'd just say, let's just, let's just draw some pictures for the last 10 minutes. And so in, in, in essence, that was kind of like your first stand up audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, I mean, I would do, or do you interview mostly? I only interview comedians. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, no, no, that was, I started doing comedy at 33 years old, mm-hmm. but I found my voice very early because it turns out that I was doing open mics for 10 years. They were just, I was teaching. Yeah. It was my open mic. Mm-hmm. I could do whatever I wanted. And I bombed more than I did well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I did well enough that I was the funny teacher and it really upset the other teachers. Yeah. Because, um, the first two weeks of school the only class they were looking forward to was mine. Right. That was, was it. It was like, when's Moomjean? Oh, I can't believe Moomjean's class is over. We have to go to so-and-so's class. You know, and then that teacher, I would say, you can't say that in front of them. Mm-hmm. And they would do that. They'd be like, you're not funny like Moomjean. Or then, like, they go from 7th grade to 8th grade with another teacher, and they'd be like, are you funny like Moomjean? Oh, my God. <laughs> just these teachers was just like, look, I'm not him. <laughs> right. And here's the other thing, too. My humor was never dumbed down. It was always, I don't think there was a story I ever told them that I wouldn't tell an adult. Mm-hmm. So they totally appreciate that. Like, because kids know when you're talking down to them. Mm-hmm. They, they totally remember that Vietnam flashback of kindergarten when the little sweet teacher went, Are you okay, sweetie? Like, that's so condescending to anyone over 12. And unless they're like a really, really, really simple kid. Like, a lot of some of the homeschool kids mm-hmm. needed that. They really needed to be nurtured. But for the most part, kids don't want, they want to be treated like an adult. Mm-hmm. Mostly because they're acting more adult than most adults do. Most junior high and high school kids are sexually active, doing drugs, drinking. So they're looking at you like, why are you treating me like a kid? Yeah. I'm probably doing more adult things than, than you, sir. So I just treat like adults. Yeah. I loved it. That's, yeah, that's all I really want. Yeah. Um... And so, yeah, no, teaching and, and coaching at the same time, mm-hmm. and that happened uh, for two years. Then I worked at Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. What were you doing there? I was a production assistant for about six months, and then I became the assistant to Dan Schneider, okay. who created all the shows on Nickelodeon, the mm-hmm. iCarly, the Zona ones, worked at the writer's room, production side, um, but I was still coaching. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that because, you know, production hours don't work with practice hours. So for one year, I couldn't go to wrestling practice. Oh, okay. And it confused people. Mm-hmm. It was like, why isn't he here? Where is he? And uh, kids would call me on the set crying when they lost. And I'm like, well, isn't there another coach you could talk to right now? Because <laughs> uh, uh, Jamie Lynn Spears uh, is about to shoot her big scene where she dances with a funny hat. And I need to be in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, just listen to me, man. Just listen to me. You know, yeah. So that was that would happen. But then when the writer's strike happened, Mm -hmm. I lost my job. I went back into coaching, and now I had no job. Okay. But I was coaching Mm full-time. That was the greatest year I was ever a coach. The 2006, no, 2007, 2008 year, Mm -hmm. 
I broke every record in Ventura County at a new high school. I switched over to Royal because I couldn't be at scene anymore just because of everything that went down with mm-hmm. uh, jobs and oh, okay. new things and things. Yeah. Like the new school. And I just said, hey, I'll take over everything. And the head coach was thrilled to death. Mm-hmm. He's like, you'll do everything? Oh my. And, and we ended up taking a team that won the league the year before, tied for league. We had a uh, re- uh, we broke a record at the league. Mm-hmm. We only lost eight matches, individual matches the entire year. There's 14 weight classes, and there's seven dual meets. So uh, whatever seven times 14 is, mm-hmm. uh, 98 matches, almost 100 matches. We only lost eight individual matches. That's great. <laughs> I know. With three dual meets. That we lo- that we won with th- only one kid each match losing, uh, uh, blowing the shutout, mm-hmm. and they lost in overtime, and and so I made T-shirts for the three kids that said shutout minus three because there were three kids and they all gave up three team points, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget the head coach when you can't do this, the principal's gonna get on me, the parents are gonna hate it. He goes, you're mocking the kids for losing. I go, trust me, it's fine, it's for Moonji, it's fine. I give him the shirts. They wore those shirts every day at school. And they would, one guy goes, yeah, some girl found out that like, I lost and I was the only one. So she like felt bad. We made out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. Okay? Yeah. In fact, I had parents coming up going, when are you going to make a shirt for my kid that's like ironic and silly and stupid? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't it's have that much money. It's got to happen organically, yeah. It's got to happen organically. But yeah, no, so coaching was like, that was my big thing. Mm-hmm. Is that it was just taking on that uncle big brother relationship mm-hmm. with kids. Well, here's what happens with the school that I did really well with, with Royal. At the end of the year, the wrestling coach pulls me aside. We had so much success, and we broke every record in Ventura County. Mm-hmm. We broke every record. We had the most CF placers, the most CF qualifiers, uh, or Masters qualifiers. We broke the most points ever scored in the individual tournament. We took third in the tournament. We really tied for second, but there was a glitch in the uh, thing. But long story short, we did the best of any team in the history of the county. That's amazing. I know. And then I got fired. Oh, you got fired. Is yeah. that why you stopped coaching? No, no, no. What happened was is he f- basically pulled me in a room and said, um, so everyone thinks you're the reason for the success of the team. Uh-huh. I can't have that happen. What? I'm the head coach. So you're fired. What? What? Yep. And there was nothing you could do about that? Well, I could do. I'm an assistant coach. I'm getting a $500 stipend. Yeah, that's right. I'm living off unemployment. So what happened was I ended up getting a job coaching at Moorpark College Wrestling. Mm-hmm. For oh, the, I didn't know they had a wrestling team. Oh, they they just got brought back this year. Oh. I was the last coach. Oh, got until it. Until this year. So what happened was is in the 2008 year, uh-huh. the team was on a downward spiral. It was terrible. Um, someone volunteered me for it. I had just gotten back from a big road trip that I had taken because I actually fell into a little bit of money. I had once money in a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So I could financially go get my master's degree and do this. I'm... <laughs> I ended up working for the worst human being that ever lived. This coach never showed up to practice. He was making $25,000 for his stipend. Yeah. And he never showed up. And I'm running practice. And when he did show up, he wanted to compete with the other boys on the team to see who's getting laid more. What? He would have these contests. He said, all right, who, who, who had sex last night? And, like, one of the boys raised his hand. And, and these are all college kids, so he yeah. felt comfortable being able, being able to do this, right? He's like, well, I had sex with two women last night. And then they would be like, well, I had sex with three this week. And I'm sitting there going, this is not appropriate. You yeah. know, like in any way, shape, or form is this appropriate. 
And, uh, in fact, when we had to run a tournament one time, he went up to the gym in the top floor of the of Moore Park College's gym, and he worked out while I got the mat set up. Oh and I'm not making a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, canceled the program. Uh, then I ended up getting a job. I worked at El Camino Real High School, mm-hmm. not as a teacher, but just as a coach. I stayed unemployed. <laughs> I didn't have a job for two and a half years. We won three section titles at El Camino Real. Uh, one of my best friends was the head coach. Oh, nice. And he finally got me to come over and join him. Uh-huh. And you guys were a good team? We worked pretty well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, friends are tough to work with sometimes. Yeah. Because you, it's, 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 you think they'll be cool because we're friends. And so there's a couple things that went down where I put my foot down. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, nope. Not doing it, not going through that again. Just weird little things. Um, and then we're still really close friends. Mm-hmm. But I kind of helped him out a little bit, but kind of took a step back. Because I could also see that he saw the same thing happening. The kids gravitated to me. Kids always gravitated to me. It's like, Paul's going to... I'm a, a little philosopher for them. I would tell them stories. I was a little guru. I, I, I You know, they would be like, you're like Gandalf. <laughs> like, you know everything. Paul knows everything. And the other kids in the community knew who I was, too, as a coach. Mm-hmm. I would have kids who would come up to me and go, how do I, how do I come wrestle for you next year? And I go, you don't, because then you're going to be ineligible, because you can't transfer for sports. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, I said, you, just anytime you need me to tell you a story, just find me at a wrestling tournament, and I'll do that. In fact, I'll never forget that happened with a kid with Park. He had lost in the semifinals at CIF, and he was crying in the corner, and I sat down next to him, and I told him one of the stories that I would tell one of my wrestlers about things that happened or something like that, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh my God, you're right. Okay. And he got up, and he ended up placing third in CIF and wrestled back, and, you know, because kids need stories. Yeah. They don't need facts. They need the emotional version of mm-hmm. something. Not the truth of it. Because the truth is a little hard for them to take. Um, parents are too truthful sometimes. Yeah. And they tell them things that they shouldn't tell them, which is, you'll never do this. And the parent's right. They never will accomplish the, the goals that they have. They're not intelligent enough, good-looking enough, whatever it is, but you don't tell them that. Right. You let them figure that out on their own so they take ownership mm-hmm. in their failures and in their successes. Yeah, rather than never trying. Right. It's like, wow, I tried that and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But that's what sports is. Sports is supposed to be trying something in which you know it's not going to work. If I'm going to wrestle the state champion, I'm not going to beat him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I can't try. And I'll never forget, I had a kid on an all-star team one time. He had to wrestle the state champion. He was third in the league, mm-hmm. in a terrible league. He took him down with the first takedown. Oh, we had a party. You know what I mean? The side, we just went crazy. Mm-hmm. We're like cheering on our feet. And then he lost 10 to 1. <laughs> but he got that first takedown yeah, yeah. In, in the little freestyle meet. And so, But that's all he needed. That's mm-hmm. all he needed. The next year, he went to state. Oh, look at that. Just having that little moment. Yeah. Just knowing that I can take down the state champion. I can Maybe I'm not going to win it, but mm-hmm. I can get there. And those are the little things, you yeah. know, as a coach that I would try to implement in all of my athletes. Mm-hmm. Were there any, any traditions, like, because you did move around to a few different places, were there any, like, specific traditions that you kept, like, in every place that you coached? I would say that the one thing, for one, it was uh, uh, car trips were story time. Okay. We, 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 a little bit of music, but it was mm-hmm. story time. We shared stories with each other. The, the, the wrestlers. Um, Four wrestlers, wrestlers in a car and, uh, and me. Yeah. And, and so you fought hard to get into a Moomjin car. Nobody wanted to be with the parent who was listening to country music the whole time. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Moomjin was going to tell. And, and it was an open forum discussion on anything they wanted to know mm-hmm. about. Anything at all. Anything political, religious, anything. 
And so what we'd have is we'd have these really great discussions in the car. And so we have this Jewish atheist kid who wanted to know everything about Christianity because his family wouldn't tell him anything about religion because they didn't even want to deal with more questions. Mm-hmm. So he would get into the back seat, and sometimes we'd drive all the way up to Morro Bay, which is about a two, three-hour drive from Simi Valley, and he would ask a million questions uh-huh. about religion. So what does this mean? Is God a man? Does he have a beard? What's going on? And so this was the thing. So every kid knew. And now, there's usually ten tournaments or road trips a year, mm-hmm. which means he would only get maybe one or two of them, and then he'd have to back off and someone else would get to come in. And then they would want to just hear stories about Nickelodeon mm-hmm. or stories about teaching or stories about my brother who was going in and out of rehab. And so I had all these kind of funny things that he was saying at the time. And so that was that was, that was was probably the most fun for me was yeah. just getting in the car and doing that. Um, I'm not a superstitious guy. In fact, I usually stopped a lot of their, like, I'm wearing the same socks until I lose. No, you're not. Because i got to smell them. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's going to wash those. Um, because it's not your socks, it's you. Yeah. And so that was that was one thing. Whereas baseball, much more superstitious. Mm-hmm. Basketball, football, uh, wrestling, no. I always said, we're already barbarians. Mm-hmm. You might as well act like civilized barbarians. Because um, that's the thing with wrestling, is that it's not an intellectual sport. It's not... You, no one ever wrote, wrestled and then... Wrote a bunch of books. Right. It's very primal. Right. Right. Oh, it's very id. Mm-hmm. And whereas basketball is more methodical and it's teamwork and you have to be able to be on the same page and great athletes can't do that all the time. Same with football. Um, I never coached football, but I know a lot of coaches who did because they were wrestling coaches too and they would tell you, you get some kid and you just had to, he was so fast that you would have to just build an offense around him that just says, tell him, take the ball and run that way. And you'd have to point Mm-hmm. But with wrestling, you can't. You just have to be brutal, and you just have to kind of go out there. And and so um, I would always tell the kids, "We're going to make you men. Mm-hmm. You're going to be responsible, and you're going to pick up your trash." Oh, that's another thing too. That was one thing that was very important. Always made them pick up their litter. Oh yes, everybody at the end of the tournament, wherever we were sitting, regardless of who sat there during the day, we picked up all the trash on our side of the bleacher. Mm-hmm. And and I remember tournament directors would come up and they'd say, "You always make them pick up the trash, don't you?" I said, "Yes." Because we're not going to leave this place dirtier than we found it. And and people appreciate those little things. Mm-hmm. The kids didn't at the time. But what was really funny was I had one guy who ended up becoming uh, a coach. One of my kids became a wrestling coach. Oh, nice. And I remember at the end of the Newberry Park Wrestling Tournament, he looks over and he goes, watch this. <laughs> all right, everybody, we're going to pick up our trash. <laughs> and he starts to get all excited, like, I got to do it, you know, yeah. because that was the thing. you know. And also, we when we had hotel trips, it was, we never leave the lights on mm-hmm. before we leave and we would do a bed check and we would do a thing and and they just would, why are you like this is it because we're not going to make it so the next year the price of the hotel is an extra five six dollars because we left the lights on right let's maintain you know and they're like it's not going to be because of us i said but we might be able to be the difference maker mm-hmm. what if they're looking at those numbers and they're going it's just high enough but we turn the lights off at least we can say it wasn't our fault yeah all right. <laughs> and when you do that with high school kids and you explain why you're doing something and why it's a benefit to them, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, they're fine with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, I always appreciated that as a kid. It's like, okay, just tell me why I'm doing something and then I won't ask any more questions. Right. I used to, as a teacher, I used to tell kids all the time, uh, we only have this homework assignment because I'm required to have a homework category and, and we're going to do it in class. 
And if you don't get it done, then it becomes homework. Yeah. But the only reason we have these ten assignments is because I have to have them by school rules. Yeah. Oh, like I don't want you to do it, but I have to have it. And they were always like, oh, well, let's do it then. Yeah, let's get this done. It was almost to spite the system. Yeah. Right? But when you make kids feel like, oh, no, it's going to help you with the test, and the really smart kids like, ah, oh, it's mm-hmm. not going to help with the test. <laughs> like, I already know the test. I mean, let's face it, Moom Jean, I could have written the test. Um, being intellectually dishonest doesn't get you anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, I think for me, my, my biggest tradition as a wrestling coach and as a teacher was being so honest with them mm-hmm. that they could never turn it around on me. Right. Never. And there was, and in fact, I used to always say to them all the time, I'd say, whenever I get out of hand, you just let me know. And in nine years of teaching full time, 10 years of teaching on off and 17 years of coaching, only once did I have ever have a complaint about me being unfair mm-hmm. only once and it was a new girl it was her second week at the school and she thought that I graded her too harshly and what I was told was she was going to have her mom get me fired oh shit <laughs> yeah she's going to have her mom she's like I can't believe you gave me a B on this essay I hate him I'm going to get him fired I'm an A student and I guess the senior class found out what was happening what kind of mentality is that? I'm going to get my teacher fired oh that's the mentality of many kids in, pub- in private school Oh, okay. It was private oh, yeah, school. private school. Not so much public. Was this because, Oaks Christian? No, this was uh, uh, Grace Brethren. Oh, okay, got it. And got what it. happened was, is the four or five seniors pulled her aside and said, "Look, we're all for getting teachers fired because we can get subs, and then we don't have to do any work. But you're not getting moved to fired. Mm-hmm. We'll go. We'll fight you on this one." She's like, "Why? Because we think we, because I was a very good AP teacher, very good AP English teacher, and they said he'll help us pass the test." And we're never, ever, ever going to have a day where we couldn't talk to him mm-hmm. about something. So he's the most reasonable human being on the campus. You can't fire the most reasonable human being on the campus. I was the only one. I used to go in the administration office. It upset them to no end. I'd go to the administration office and I'd say, you can't do this. Uh-huh. You can't do this to them. You can't take that away from them. You can't do this. And they were like, you fought? I said, yeah. I used to fight all the time. I said, no, because no. They're, 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 they're 15. They're 16. You can't say that they can't do this anymore. You can't do, you know, whatever it was. Um, and, and nine times out of ten, the administration will listen to me. Mm-hmm. But they got really upset. Because it's just easier to just make a rule and follow the rule. And who cares who it hurts? But that's never been me. It's always been... You've always been the squeaky wheel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, if I would have worked for the wrong company, I would have been a whistleblower. I know it. Uh-huh. The, the insider would have been made about me. <laughs> Russell Crowe would have played me. Yeah. <laughs> Al Pacino would have interviewed me like it would have been a whole different thing Mm -hmm. yeah well that's awesome well i appreciate you coming on and telling me these these tales of your past (laughs) oh yeah this is fun thanks paul yeah